1: Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has appointed former Governor-General David Johnston as the Special Rapporteur to oversee Canada's investigation into Chinese election interference, but not everybody is supportive of this move.
0: The Conservatives have rejected a pro-life candidate seeking the party's nomination in the Ontario Conservative stronghold of Oxford, True North has learned.
1: A new survey reveals that four in five Canadians feel sustainable living is much easier for wealthy people. Hello, Canada. It's Thursday, March 16th, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Anthony Fury.
0: And I'm Rachel Emanuel.
1: We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. The Prime Minister has tasked former Governor General David Johnston to look into allegations of foreign interference in the 2019 and 2021 federal elections and to provide recommendations on how the government should proceed. In a release, Trudeau said, quote, I am confident that Johnston will conduct an impartial review to ensure all necessary steps are being taken to keep our democracy safe and uphold and strengthen confidence in it. Now, according to the release, Johnston will step down from his current role as head of the Leaders' Debates Commission. And in response to Trudeau's appointment of Johnston as special rapporteur, many pointed to speeches from the past in which Trudeau described Johnston as, quote, a family friend. And further, as True North's Harrison Faulkner pointed out on social media, Johnston is currently a member of the Pierre Elliott Trudeau Foundation. You know, Rachel, I've been joking that if this was just a regular rapporteur, you know, I would really have my doubts about this. But knowing that it is a special rapporteur, well, I, I have total confidence in the process now.
0: It really is that one word that just makes all the difference, eh? But honestly, when we look at this issue, it's a little disappointing. Trudeau has not been strong on this. It took him so long to even take any action and say there was going to be an investigation into what was going on here with a very, very serious issue. And now we have someone who's been appointed who really isn't unbiased in the manner. You need look no further than some of Trudeau's own past comments in which he referred to Johnston as a family friend to see that. So it is disappointing to see how weak our prime minister is being on this issue. As I mentioned, this is incredibly serious. I don't know why it's not being taken seriously.
1: Yeah, Johnston is certainly a respected Canadian, and a lot of people, I think, appreciate the various things he's done over the years uh, for his country and a lot of nonpartisan positions that he has held. But at the same time, is it that difficult to find someone appropriate for this who was not a part of the trudeau foundation who has not been called a close family friend and and maybe the answer is yet yeah, it is difficult because there's just so many people uh who are a part of the trudeau foundation but you know one thing rachel i, I think is interesting to contrast it with is in the united states when they have congressional hearings those things have teeth And you can get members of Congress who, Democrat, Republican, whatever, they don't take their marching orders from the White House, and they have legal power to subpoena people. If you mess with those congressional hearings, you can face legal consequences. I mean, it's an example of just how when you want to get to the bottom of things in other systems of government, you can do it. But here in Canada, this is a a major situation when it comes to the gravity of what we're dealing with here in these allegations. And it seems there's no real process to deal with it.
0: No, it seems like one of those things we're sort of making up as we go along. I mean, similar with the Freedom Convoy investigation that happened a while ago, the Public Order Emergency Commission. You know, we're sort of learning these things as we go along. That's exactly right. But I still don't understand why it can't be done in a manner that would be satisfying to most people. I'm sure they could have found someone better to do this than Johnston, someone that Canadians of all political stripes would have felt comfortable with. But instead, it seems like the Trudeau government refers back to people who have alliances with them, who are affiliated with them in the past, and it leaves everyone feeling really uneasy about the process. And the most unfortunate thing is that even if this individual, Johnston, does a good job and is actually there and nonpartisan in the way that he goes about this investigation, it will be discredited because of his ties to the Pierre Elliott Trudeau Foundation, and that's what people are gonna say, and people aren't gonna be happy with it no matter how his work is and what the outcome is. The Conservative Party of Canada has rejected a pro-life candidate seeking the party's nomination in the Ontario Conservative Stronghold of Oxford. As first reported by True North, Garrett Van Dorland, a long-time Conservative activist from Otterville, Ontario, was disqualified in a 3-2 vote by the Conservatives' National Candidate Selection Committee Tuesday evening. According to a statement from pro-life political action group Right Now, Van Dorland was targeted for his beliefs. Right Now co-founder Scott Hayward said, quote, The party gave no reason for Garrett's disqualification. The real issue is that Garrett is pro-life and more than likely to win the nomination. A conservative spokesperson told True North that Van Dorland was disqualified for failing to disclose details in his application. Oxford has 6,000 conservative members after the cutoff date to vote in the nomination. A source connected to Van Dorland's campaign said just under half of those were sold by Van Dorland. The Oxford by-election must be called by July 29. Anthony, this is one of those really interesting stories where we have a group of people, we have the Right Now group and the Van Dorland campaign likely suggesting that he was disqualified for his political beliefs, for his religious beliefs, and especially for being pro-life. But this type of thing happens all the time in politics. When it comes to nominations, the parties have so much power over who they can select. It's the same thing in provincial politics. I know that the Van Dorland campaign has said they are hoping to appeal this. I just don't know if they're going to be successful. How do you expect this is going to play out?
1: Yeah, it is a difficult look for the conservatives because Pierre Polyev has positioned himself as someone who's just going to barrel ahead, uh, lean into everything and and charge forward and and really fight for regular Canadians. And he's not going to do things sort of the old way. And he's not going to play by the old media rules playbook. And yet this all seems like, okay, we've got someone who might become an MP. And I guess he has a history of pro-life activism. So we just don't want those CBC stories saying, oh, look, there's a there's a secret poly of social conservative agenda. But I think People probably know that that's less and less the case now. People are tired of that fear-mongering. And we know Pierre Polyev has appointed people like uh, Melissa and an LGBT uh, Jewish woman, to be deputy leader. I mean, just who cares, I think, should be the response to all of this. Rather than, oh, no, we have to do things behind the scenes to uh, suppress the presence of a couple pro-life MPs. So it is an odd look for them.
0: Exactly. It feels very early 2000s to me. And I think the thing I think is most interesting is we have two candidates that also have affiliations with the Conservative Party that are running in this by-election or this nomination race, I should say. And, you know, neither of them are even from the riding. And I always find it really frustrating when a party appears to be supporting candidates from outside the riding. I think it's always better to have a candidate from within the riding that really knows the constituents, that knows the issues, that knows the people. And certainly, you know, the Polyev campaign appears to be burning a lot of political capital on this nomination race. It's pretty early for them. I don't think it's a good look for Pierre. I think people were hoping for a different approach from him than we saw from Sharon O'Toole. And I'm not getting
1: Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The majority of Canadians say they believe sustainable living is much easier for the wealthy. Onion Corporation, an environmental social governance reporting software company, that's ESG, asked investors and consumers several questions to determine their personal commitments on workforce diversity, ethical supply chains, and companies' obligations to the communities in which they operate. The survey found that young adults aged 18 to 34 are more likely to believe that sustainable living is much easier for wealthy people, 83% of them said so, compared to adults 55 plus. That was at 75%. Still, you've got An overwhelming majority of people saying yes. Now, the survey also found that four in five consumers are willing to extend the life of their cell phone an extra year or more if it benefits the environment, but only 38% feel strongly about this commitment. Now, another three-quarters of Canadians express concern about the environmental risks of transporting hazardous materials, and the same proportion acknowledge that there are environmental risks embedded in supply chains. Rachel, this is very interesting because we have seen increasing movements for governments and organizations to bring in rules around environmental best practices. We know, for instance, that plastic bags are basically banned across the country now. I was at Walmart the other day and I forgot to bring bags. I thought, okay, fine, I'll pay for one. And the only options they had, and they had a small one for $2 and they had a large one for $3. So I paid for the $3 bag because I had a lot of little things. And it's like, wow, $3. I mean, if you're shopping at Walmart because uh you're economizing your person who's not making a lot of money i mean just adding three dollars onto your belt for a bag that's that's quite something so i'm not surprised that people are like yeah this eco stuff it's really becoming for the wealthy
0: yeah i find the bag situation super annoying especially because i have a million of the reusable bags at home and i for the life of me cannot ever remember to bring them to the grocery store so i think i buy a new one every single time i'm there The other option is the paper bags, which are honestly not reusable because they don't have handles and you have no actual way of carrying them, which is super frustrating. But, you know, that's sort of another side story. I don't know if i really agree with the survey saying that only wealthy people can be sustainable or that it's easier for them when i think about people that i know that are the most sustainable it's actually the older generation you know people that immigrated to canada in my case i'm thinking about my grandparents who didn't have a lot of money when they came here and just really learned how to use everything even when it comes to the ingredients in their kitchen they would find a way to reuse every single thing that they use whereas i think we're my generation throws things out a little bit more quickly and in ontario we get our milks from bags even little things like they would wash out the milk bags and reuse that as freezer bags. Something that I would never do, I would just buy freezer bags. So I think that if you really want to go the distance, you can absolutely be sustainable if it's something that's important to you. I think, you know, for a lot of people also just isn't terribly important and they're tired of the pressures of having to be sustainable and having to pay extra for all these little things.
1: Now you make an interesting distinction there because what you're talking about is also frugality, uh, modest living, which is a thing that doesn't necessarily overlap with the way We talk about Enviro living these days. I mean, Enviro living can often mean still a consumerist culture, but you're buying these more expensive eco-savvy goods. And perhaps when people say, yes, this is a thing for the rich, they're referring to that. That's what I had in mind. I wasn't even thinking about the scenario you're portraying, but your one is, is equally valid for sure.
0: Yeah, it's kind of become about this idea of eco-savvy goods, which people don't actually need to buy. There's lots of ways to be sustainable that are really just about being frugal, that our grandparents and older generations have been doing for a very long time. Um, I don't think it needs to become about this conversation about buying products that are gonna make us more sustainable. And I like, even with the electric car type of thing, like that's just not practical for somewhere like Alberta in the cold winters. So, you know, I don't really apply the lens that a lot of corporations would like me to apply to my life. I think it's important to try to be sustainable and not produce extra waste, just because I think it's important to take care of creation and to take care of the land that we have been given. But I think people, if they reframed how they looked at the issue, they would feel a lot differently about it.
1: That's it for today. And don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news. Thanks for listening and have a great day.